0: Uh, Of this whole series talking about the world, and last week Pastor Shelby did an outstanding job just unpacking and giving us a good glimpse, an overview of what it means to live in this world and what this world means to us, and how, uh, as as followers of Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, we really are not citizens of this world. We're really not citizens of this world. We're citizens of a different world in heaven where God is calling us to step into and bring heaven through us to this world so that we can transform this world to be more like Him. And it is so cool that this is a, a partnership with us and God to do ministry, to do life with His plans and His will so that we can impact this world for Jesus Christ. And that is the cool process of stepping out of this world, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, stepping into his world, and then bringing his world into this world, which is kind of messed up in a way, to bring hope and, and, and glory to a God, and to bring a freedom to those that do not know Jesus Christ. And we'll talk a lot about that next week. But this week, I want to talk about how when we live in this world, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ who has given your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe you're in here this morning and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, we're all on that level playing field where we all get tempted, okay? So let me tell you this, just because you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've given your life to Jesus Christ does not mean that you are free and clear of temptation. Temptation comes your way. It attacks you. It, it is trying to trip you up. It is trying to get you to kind of backslide and go back into the world that you used to live, the place where you were at one time. And he's trying to pull you back there. And so I want to talk about the three temptations that we see starting all the way in the Garden of Eden, all the way to the end of the book of Revelation till Jesus comes back. Because he is coming back. He is coming back. And there is hope. <laughs> for us as followers of Jesus Christ, right? But that temptation is still there. So today I want to talk about the three temptations. Temptations that lead to idolatry. Idolatry, which is where we create our own idols and make them gods. The struggle or the idolatry occurs when anything created, which is everything, anything created to point you to God replaces God in the thoughts and desires of our hearts or your hearts. So basically what I'm saying is, okay, here is God created everything that was good. We've talked about that from the beginning of this series. God created everything that was good. He created that so that we can enjoy it, not that we can love it. He created that to that can enjoy it and not make it our God's. But when we make the things that God created to be God's idolatry and replace God in our heart, now we fall into the area of, of temptation. And we see that struggle goes back to the Garden of Eden. That was, uh, that, that, we see the design that started there where God placed man in the garden. And, and then we see that sin took over. And sin uh, is, is, uh, is uh, the fundamental for idolatry. It causes us to fall into this place that God doesn't want us to fall into. And so we find ourselves constantly struggling with temptation. We love creation more than the Creator God. We love creation more than the Creator God. We surrender control of what was uh, surrender control to what was made, rather than surrendering it to the One who made it. If you think about it, we're constantly in this struggle. There is this gravitational pull to pull us away from God. This morning, if I was to uh, ask you to look around you, now this service is pretty full, which is exciting, uh, since the Chiefs are playing, and uh, Pastor Shelby doesn't want any score updates, so please don't let him know what the score is for you Chiefs fans. But this morning, if you look around this room, There are more people outside of these four walls than are sitting in churches this morning. That is across the planet. Why? Why is that? Why is that? Because there's this gravitational pull to created things and the order of creation over the creator God. We celebrate the physical while forgetting the one who created the physical thing. We worship gifts and neglect the giver of the gift. We fall into that trap. Last week, Pastor Shelby said, and this is very important, God is our North Star. He is our compass. He's the one that directs our life. He's the one that tells us how we should walk. He's the one that gives us purpose and meaning. He's the one that shows us the way, the truth, the life that brings uh, that brings the transforming power into our lives. He is the one that gives us life. But sin has shifted our North Star. Sin has shifted our North Star to the created order, to the created things and the creative things are directing and and, and navigating our lives and are telling us where to and what to do. So we look at God's Word in 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 and 17 and here's what God's Word tells us in 1 John chapter 2. Do not, do not love the world. Do not love the world, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For anything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does The will of God lives forever. So what we see here is that the writer of John gives us a trifold definition of the broken order of the world. The broken order of the world. So let me kind of clarify that a little bit. Did God make a mistake when he created the world? No, he didn't. Remember, God created seven days of creation and every time, what did he say? It was... Good. So God created a good world. He created a good world because he loved you, right? And he created you, and he said, guess what? I want you to take care of the world. I want you to subdue the world. I want you to be in charge. I want you to enjoy what I have created, right? But what did Jesus say? The most important commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and sin, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love God and love others, right? So the order is God, humans loving God, enjoying creation that he created so that we can enjoy it. You may have heard this thing. Hey, it's not, money is not a bad thing. But when we love money is when it shifts. Sex was created by God for the context of marriage. But when we love it so much that it dictates and tells us what to do, then it corrupts us. Power or possessions or or maybe titles. These are things God created, but not for it to control us, for us to control it. See, so God is who we are supposed to love, and we're supposed to love our neighbors and be selfless. But when we shift that, because what the enemy did was is he brought created order. He brought the creation that God made, and he said, hey, look, you should start loving this. And so we take the love for God and we put that love for the thing that he created, and God leaves the picture. Or we push God away from our lives. The shift in the created order. So when we shift in the created order, now we find ourselves with the three temptations. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The God of this world, Satan, the devil, who is out to steal, kill, and destroy you. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Enjoy it, but don't love it. Love God. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So as we unpack this, I want you to hear... We have a, I, I do this myself, but we have a really good thing of coming to church and just listening to stuff and say, oh, that was so good. Man, that was so good. Okay. And then we walk away. But do we ask the question, well, that was so good, but how does that apply to my life? Where am I when it comes to this? How, what do I need to do different? How do I need to change? How do I need to let God shift things in my life? Because if I keep doing the same things and doing the same things and coming to church every day and nothing changes, why are we coming to church? Wasting our time. So as we look at this this morning, I don't know, I just, and I just feel like we need to do a self-examination because Let me tell you this, me included. All of us in this room today will find ourselves in one of these camps or all three of these camps. What are we going to do? Because if we (laughs) don't move out of those camps, we're not loving God. Right? So, as we look at this, I just want you to be honest with yourself. Hey, we're all broken people. We're on this journey together. Right? And if you're honest with ourselves, God is so gracious. He wants to love you. He wants to help you. He wants to set you free. He sent his son to die on the cross because he knew we were messed up in the first place. Right? Right? Okay, so if we have that. Let's. The enemy wants you to hide. He wants you to live under this place where He says, oh, no, it's all good. You're good. You keep there. You stay there. No, no, no. Let's come out of there and walk in freedom, right? So lust of the flesh, lust of the flesh, number one. We see uh, Ephesians. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesians, Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 3. All of us... Um, also, all of us also lived among them at one time. All of us also lived in this world at one time. Some of us are still living in that place uh, right now. All of us, I like to call it BC and AD in my life, before Christ and after Christ. Uh, Before Christ, right? Before Christ, we also lived among uh, them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And we've unpacked that for the last many weeks. If you have, if this is your first time, I encourage you to go to our app, or go to our website, and check out the previous message series that'll help you understand what we talk when we talk about the gratifying the desires of our flesh. So what we see here, and let's talk about from the standpoint of sexual temptation, our sexual desires, which uh, were created by God, uh, were created for the context of marriage. But outside of the context of marriage, it is a deformed and disordered desire. It is a desire that God didn't put inside of us. It was not the intention. It was something that the enemy placed in there and said, hey, guess what? You can start loving this more than loving God. And so now we have this destruction that starts to happen in our lives. As image bearers of God, we were created to give love. As image bearers of God, we were created to give love. What did God do in the first place? He gave. He sent his son to die on the cross because he loved you. He gave. And so if we are image bearers of God, we're supposed to give love. That's why he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. You give love to God. You give love to others. Giving is a selfless act. This is why marriages are kind of struggling because we've gone from selfish, uh, selfless to selfish. Giving is a selfless act. To be sacrificial, Christ was sacrificed on the cross for you and me. He sacrificed Himself because He loves by giving love, right? We were created to give love. Instead, we have become objects of desire to take pleasure and love from. And why do we do that? For, for personal satisfaction. Even if it is consensual, there's been a shift in our hearts. There's been a shift in our hearts. Our hearts were created to give, but we want to always take. That is the fall that began in the garden, a shift. This is not just in our sexual desires. It's in the desires of our flesh. If we look at our lives this morning, if we look at the way we live, it is the life, uh, it, it, it is how we live. It is dominated by our senses. It is dominated by our senses. It is this gluttonousness for food and luxury, uh, lavish in pleasure, lustful and luxe in moral, selfish in how we use our possessions. We want to keep it all to ourselves, regardless of the spiritual values, extravagant in the gratification of material desires. That's how we live. These are totally opposite to the ways of Jesus. It doesn't align with the way Jesus intends us to live. It it totally aligns with what the world wants us to do, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. What John is referring to here is greed, jealousy, discontentment. Man, I don't know about you, but it seems like anymore there are things that are created new every year because we are not content. Maybe like the iPhone, right? Man, it is so good, but then you have next version out or it's uh, the car and it's the next new model that's out or it's whatever. It's clothing or whatever, you name it. it we, are, we are never content as a generation, because it's the lust of the eye. It is the spirit which can see nothing without wishing to acquire it. Think about that. It is the spirit that we, uh, with, 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 which we see, and once we see it, what do we want? We want it. And guess what? Social media, the technology, online shopping has made this so convenient, right? I mean, we scroll social media, or we scroll Amazon, or we scroll Walmart online, whatever your shopping method is, you see it. And guess what? You don't even have to get in your car and make the trip anymore. You don't have to take cash out of your wallet. Guess what? All you've got to do is, do you want to buy now? Click. Oh, guess what? We'll give you a discount. And guess what? I'll also throw in free shipping. It'll be there tomorrow. Oh, how convenient. How do we get there? Because we want more. We're not satisfied. Used to be it took you like a week to get your stuff. Now if it takes you three days, we're like, what is going on? I thought you said it was overnight shipping. The spirit which we live believes that happiness is found in the things which money can buy. How many times have we bought something and we go, Oh, what's the next thing I can buy? How many times have we got done with Christmas and we go, Oh, is that all the gifts? the lust of the eye. It is fleeting. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Materialism. We all fight it. I do it myself. Pride of life. Pride of life. Here John uses this vivid Greek word. It's called alazonia, which is called pride. And the ancient moralist the Alexandrian was a man who laid claim to possession and to achievements which he did not which did not belong to him in order to exalt himself <laughs> to make him look good <laughs> His conversations is a continual boasting boasting about things which it does not possess All his life is spent on the attempt to impress everyone he meets with things that he does not have or the power that he does not have, boasting, pride of life. These three great temptations are constantly crouching at our door. They're constantly at our doorstep, knocking, trying to get into our lives, trying to attack attack us and bring us down. We've talked about the deceptive ideas of the devil, right? The deceptive ideas of the devil are coded in these three temptations. All of those are coded in these three temptations to create inside of us a disordered desire to go after the things of this world, to fall in love with the things of this world versus God so that it, that it could lead us to death and destruction, but most importantly, to disconnect us from the creator god the lifeline the source of life i am the vine you are the branches He's the vine they're supposed to be connected to but the enemy comes with his deceptive ideas coded in the three temptations to separate us to change our disor- to desires to be disordered and dis- bring destruction and disconnection from the creator god This is the way of the enemy. It is counter to the way of Jesus. And these three temptations, they go all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That is where it started. It is nothing new. The enemy is not creating anything new. He is using the same thing over and over and over again. So we look at that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit was good, uh, the fruit on, on the, of, of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate of it. The beginning of sin. Here we go. When the woman saw that the, uh, the f- tree, the f- fruit of the tree was good for food, good for food, lust of the flesh. Good for food, lust of the flesh. And you define what is good for you right now that you go after. And pleasing to the eye. How many things are so pleasing that we fall into that trap, the lust of the eye. And then lastly, also what? So I can be smarter than God. I can boast about it, right? Gain wisdom. The pride of life. The three temptations. So the enemy starts that in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? Does he stop there? No. Guess what? He even goes after Jesus. He goes after Jesus with the same three temptations. So Jesus comes into this world and he goes into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights so that he can prepare himself, be in the presence of God and and be transformed so he can do the ministry that God had called him, his father had called him, right? So after 40 days of fasting, what is it? Jesus is coming in to start ministry and guess what the devil does? He tempts Jesus. You think he's not going to tempt you? (laughs) He tempts Jesus. He comes to Jesus. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. What would that look like for you after you've been fasting for 40 days? How many of you want to try that? We're going to do a fast this January, so I'm just giving you a heads up. It'll be good. It'll be good. It lines up with what Jesus asks us sometimes to do. But Jesus fasted for 40 days, so he was hungry, right? Right? Try fasting for a day. You'll be hungry. I'm most like but 40 days. And so here's what the devil does. He comes to him and says, Hey, guess what? If you are the son of God, <laughs> which he is, tell these stones, uh, tell these stones to become bread. Why? Because if he can, and he can, he's the son of God. He could have told the stones to become bread, right? Because the enemy was tempting him to take care of his fleshly desires, which was hunger. But what did Jesus do? Jesus used scripture, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here we see the devil tempting Jesus with that first temptation. Then we go on and we see the devil doesn't stop there. He takes Jesus to the the highest point of the mountain and he shows him all of creation because the devil is the God of this universe. And he says, you know what, I'll give you all of this if you will bow down and worship me. Man, this looks so good, Jesus, but all you've got to do. And he's saying, bow down and worship me. Now, he doesn't come to you and say, bow down and worship me. He says, oh, look at that amazing car. Look at that amazing dress. Look at that. Look look at this. Look at that, man. It looks so good. You need that. You need this. And oh, you're going to just, you're going to go after that and not God. Jesus responds, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He's not saying you cannot enjoy that. He created that so you can enjoy it. He doesn't want you to worship it where it takes control of your life and tells you what to do and how many hours to work because you can't pay your bills and how to live and how to be on, outside uh, in, within the context of marriage and, 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 and how you treat people at work and all of that. It starts to impact All of what you do because you start worshipping the things that he created. He doesn't stop there. He goes after after Jesus one more time, and he takes him to the top of the uh, temple. And, and he and he and he says, you know what? Uh, if you are the son of God, here he goes again. It is said, throw yourself down, for it is written. And he's using scripture. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So he's tempting Jesus to use his power and and and, and to prove to the to, uh, to the devil that, hell, I'm the Son of God, and God will take care of me. But what does Jesus do? He has self-control. He has self-control. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The three temptations, it continues. It's nothing, nothing new. It's an age-old trick that the enemy uses. Here's the sad part in our world today. The three temptations are not only tolerated, but they're also celebrated. They're celebrated. Theo Hobson said it this way: "What was universally condemned, what was universally condemned is now celebrated. What was universally celebrated is now condemned. Those who refuse to celebrate it are condemned. God hasn't called you to this world. He's called you out of this world to influence this world, to impact this world. As followers of Jesus Christ, we cannot live live in this world, we've got to be called out because if God wants to use us to influence this world, we can't influence this world if we keep letting the world influence us, right? We can't. The exchange we need to have the exchange happen in our lives, to live a life that is influenced by God, to receive the power that comes from being connected to God, because there is power and freedom that comes by being connected to God, but we want to be connected to this world. See, when Adam and Eve bit into that fruit, there was, they weren't experiencing boundary confusion, they, weren't exp- they truly knew what God had told them. It was very clear. When the devil came to Eve, she even repeated what God had told her. She clearly knew what was expected of her. There was no confusion of the expectation. It's just that when they bit into the fruit, Adam and Eve just didn't care. And I think some of us live that way today. And a lot of people outside of this, these four walls live like that today. They just don't care. The moment they bit into their, that fruit, they had already given away their love and the allegiance of their heart to the things of this world and the devil. They had taken their allegiance from God and given it away. See, love for God should have given them Motivation. ...should have given them motivation to stay away from the tree, to stay away from the fruit, to stay away from the money... ...to stay, stay away from the sex, to stay away from the fame, to stay away from the power, to stay away from the corruption of this world. It should have given them motivation. The love for God should have given them motivation. But because we don't love God, we don't have the motivation to stay, no, to that. We fall to that trap. But it starts by loving God. See, their hearts were created to love the creator, but, their, but that was kid, kidnapped, that love was kidnapped by this creation. Sin kidnapped that from uh, their heart, and, and so now they, begin, began, they began that journey. Sin was the beginning of the disastrous exchange, where we exchanged our first love for fake love where we exchanged our first love for God for the things of this world. We've all been there, all of us, every one of us, because the Scripture says we're all sinful. We've all been there. That is why God sent His Son, Jesus, into this world. That is why He stepped into this world, is because He came to restore us back to our first love. That is why Jesus said the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God. He was realigning our hearts. He was realigning our minds to realign us to, the, to the, the first love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every part of you. And when you do that, it realigns you and it teaches you also how to love our neighbors and be selfless. They exchanged their first love for a fake love. Romans 1.25 they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. God's word. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served created things. Rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. The exchange. It's happening daily. This morning as we bring this Ship to a landing, I want to share a story um, that I think goes really well with what we'll be talking about here. Any uh, Chronicles of Narnia fans in the house? Oh, we've got a few. So I better be accurate in how I present the story because they'll come after me. No grace. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, Chronicles of Narnia, The the Voyage of the Dawn Treader um, by C.S. Lewis. In this story, uh, there's a ship, the Dawn trader, that is on this island. It is, it's, it's at this island because uh, it was there for repairs. And uh, it's on this island that um, Eustace, a greedy, inwardly focused boy, finds trouble. He finds trouble because his behaviors were not lining up <laughs> with the way they needed to be. He was inwardly focused. He was, he was uh, selfish. He was, he, he was up for trouble, and his behavior, behaviors caused him uh, some major issues. So we see that this boy, Eustace, he's wandering along in this island, and he comes and he finds this pile of treasure in a cave. An abandoned dragon cave. And there's a bunch of treasure and his eyes light up. (laughs) And he's excited. He found treasure. So he goes and he starts filling his pockets with the treasure that he had just found. And he keeps loading it up and he keeps loading it up. And then he gets tired and he falls asleep in the cave. With all that treasure in his pockets. And then as Yusuf sleeps, there's this thought that starts to fill his mind of a dark dragon. And his mind is his image of this dark dragon. And he wakes up. And as soon as he wakes up, he notices that something has changed. He had been transformed into a dragon. His arms were now the feet of dragon feet. And he felt this sharp pain in his hand. the sharp pain in his hand because that was the hand he was using to fill his pockets with all this treasure. And so he had been converted or had been transformed into a dragon. So he pick up the story there. He's sharing what happens next with his cousin Edmund. And he said, I looked up and saw a very large thing. Uh, sorry, I, I looked up and saw The very last thing I expected, (laughs) a huge lion coming slowly towards me. I was terribly afraid of it. Well, it came close to me and looked straight into my eyes, and I shut my eyes tight. But that wasn't any good, because it told me to follow it. I knew I had to do what it told me, so I got up and followed it. And it led me along the way into the mountains. There was a garden. In the middle of it was a well. The water was clear as anything that I had thought, uh, as anything. And I thought if I could get in there and bathe, it would ease the pain in my arm. But the lion told me, I must undress first. So I started scratching myself, and my scales began to come off all over the place. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw there was, it was all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. Then the lion said, You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claw. I was pretty nearly desperate now, so I just lay flat on my back and let him undress me. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it uh, it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab off a sore place, it hurts. But it's such fun to see it coming away. Not sure if everybody agrees with that. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I had thought I had done it myself over the last three times. Only, they hadn't hurt. And there it was, laying on the grass, only even so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was, there was I, smooth and soft. Then he caught a hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now, that I had, had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It's smart like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and soon I started swimming and splashing. I found that all the pain had gone away from my arm, and then I saw why I turned into a boy again. A lot of us, many of us, are laying on that treasure we're waking up to having dragon skin. We need to be de-dragoned or de-scaled or undressed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Is it easy? No. Is it hurt sometimes? Yes. Because he's trying to pull us away from the things of this world. God loves you so much. He sent his son Jesus, the lion, the lion of Judah, to step into this world so that he can undress the messed up clothing that we put on ourselves because we've lived in this world and we've let the world impact us. But here's something you need to understand. The lion gave the invitation, but Eustace had to follow. Eustace has had to obey. Eustace had to take that journey all the way into that mountain space. He had to follow the lion for a while till he got to the spot where then he saw the hope that was there. But even then, Eustace had to lay down and let the lion pull away the things of this world so that we can become like boys and girls again. Some of us have lost our faith. We've grown from that childlike faith to an adult who questions everything, doubts everything, Walks away from everything, has, has lost the, 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 the beauty of the relationship, the first love that we had for Jesus. And our hearts have become calloused and have become hard and have received this clothing of the world. And, and we need to let Him tear into it so He can get soft. So, this morning, if you'd stand with me, here's how we're going to end no arm twist. No pressure, just an invite. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion, the King of Judah, He's calling you this morning. And here's what I want you to do. Will you step out and come? And I'm going to pray over you. Step out and make your way to the front. you got to be obedient. It's out of obedience that God starts a transformation. It is out of obedience that the clothing starts to come off. So this morning, I'm inviting you to come to the front, if that's you. (laughs) And you know what? If I was you, every one of us needs to be up here. Because this clothing needs to come off every day. It's not a one-time and and done. Because do you live in the world one time? No, it's a constant. So I want to invite you to come right now. Because we're just going to pray. Who else needs the lion to do his work in your life? To remove away that hard outer clothing so we can have childlike faith? Who else? We'll wait. Wait another 30 seconds to let the Holy Spirit nudge you. To step out and step forward. And by doing that, what you're doing is you're symbolically saying, Yes, God, I'm trusting you. I'm going to walk. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to believe that you are going to do your work in my life. I'm going to believe that you are going to heal me. You are going to restore me. You are going to take away that outer garment. You are going to work through the lust of the flesh. You are going to work through the lust of the eye. You are going to work through the pride in my life. You are going to break away all of the things that I have given allegiance to, my first love to, and I am going to give it to you. Yes, step forward. We are going to pray. Anyone else? That's you. Give you an opportunity. That's you. I want to trust you, God. I want to have childlike faith. Childlike faith. Yes. Yes. I'm believing the Holy Spirit's working on your heart. Right now, if you just have even an inclination, if you just sense this feeling in your heart, you should. And if you're not, what you're doing is you're letting the devil keep you in your spot. But if something is telling you should, that is the Holy Spirit nudging you. And I think you should listen to him. A few more seconds and we'll pray. That's you. The Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. If you're up here, I just want you to just close your eyes and just you start talking to God. What does that look like, God? (laughs) That's me. I just need you to undress me. I just need you to do what only you can do, God. I surrender to you this morning. I give it to you this morning. I know I have stepped into this world. I know I have given my allegiance to another God, which is not you. And so this morning, I want to give it back to you. That's you. That's what you're doing. Let's pray. You would close your eyes with me. Let's pray. I'm going to pray what David prayed when he discovered that he had just fallen into the trap of sin. This is what David prayed. He had just fallen into—he had fallen into—he um, uh, had just uh, uh, committed the sin, the ultimate sin—and then he he uh, he prayed this prayer when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God! Not sorry, I meant to say this. Repeat this with me. Thing. Once I say it, you can repeat it with me. Have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities and clean me from my sin. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me And I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit. To sustain me. Amen. 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 Praise God. Can we give God glory this morning in his house? Can we give God glory? That is awesome. Awesome. Hey, for those of you that came and for every one of you, I want to leave you with this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. Have a blessed Sunday. We'll see you next week.